Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Church, there we go. Uh, a very, very happy Advent and Christmas to you. I always felt as kind of subversive in the whole controversy when people are like, season's greetings, and they're like, no, Christmas, and you're like, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, gotcha. We've got a bunch of them in the Christmas, in the church calendar. Um, and many of you know that I love, I love, I love, I love the church calendar. I love that Advent is our new year as Christians. This is when we begin to tell the story of Jesus all over again. And we begin with that sense of anticipation, expectation that we find in the prophets. And then we hone in on the birth of Jesus. This was God's solution uh, to bringing peace on earth, to rescuing um, all of creation. And it doesn't necessarily look the way that you and I would think if it was up to us to be able to fix the world. Um, But we move through that Christmas story into the season of epiphany and the gifts that were given to Jesus. Um, And then we begin the rest of the year talking about the life, the ministry of Jesus, entering into Holy Week with Palm Sunday, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, um, his confrontation with the powers and the principalities, his crucifixion, and then his resurrection on Easter. And every year we tell that story. And I love that, you know, in one sense, the church calendar feels almost offensive to whatever's happening in the news, right? Whether it's like in your personal life or it's on the national front or whatever it is, we're thinking, oh my gosh, there's this and that and all these things. Like, and there's a temptation to allow that to dictate. Like, this is the story we're living. This is the story of chaos. But I love that the church calendar goes, kind of nods at it and goes, yep, okay. Today we're going to read the story of Mary. Today we're going to talk about Joseph. And there's this almost offensive nature to the church calendar and to these rhythms that we have as Christians, where the more that we center around the story of Jesus instead of the story of our surrounding culture, the more we actually begin to allow that story to interpret everything else that's going on, amen? We begin to read the news through the story of Jesus. We begin to look at our social media feed through the story of Jesus. We begin to interact with our friends and our families and our neighbors and our enemies through the story of Jesus. And I think that's what's so powerful about this season especially. Um, and I've been thinking a lot this, this year of all years when we're talking about these major themes of Advent. First hope and then peace and then joy and today we're looking at love. Um, you know, in, in quote-unquote normal space, when we talk about being saved, we would say yes, and we don't really consider what that means other than it being kind of like, we got a ticket to go to heaven when we die, um, which is part of it, you're right. But I've been very interested when everything gets really hard. You know, this, this year we did a series that I loved called when every, What to Do When Everything's Terrible. I, I just wanted to call it Everything is Terrible, but not everybody has my British sense of humor. Um, but what, like, what does salvation mean when... life is hard. We know what salvation means when life is easy. We're kind of like on a cloud with Jesus and everything's great and we high five him and then, you know, like it's it's fantastic. But what do we do when it's hard, it's difficult? We go, hold on, what does salvation even mean? And I think more specifically to ask the questions, what is it that I was, that I've been saved from? What is it that I've been saved from? What is the material reality? What does that look like in my day to day? And what is it that I'm being saved to? And this is, I think, the work of Jesus in our lives is, yes, he saves us from one place, but he also leads us into another. And I think this is what makes the Christmas message so important because it was gospel. 
Like the Christmas message is the gospel. It's not the run up to eventually we're going to hear the gospel later. Like from first breath, that was the good news. And that's what we get to hone in on today. And as I've been reflecting on it in this Advent season, this is what I've come to realize that all our deepest desires are met in the arrival of King Jesus. All of your deepest human desires, these things within you that that whether you realize it or not, get you up in the day, motivate the decisions that you make on what kind of cereal you buy, influence all of your relationships, your job, all of these deepest desires that are woven into you as a human being on this planet are met in in the coming, the arrival, the advent of King Jesus. And the way that the prophet Isaiah puts this is that the people living in the land of darkness have seen a great light. And it becomes this ongoing theme through scripture of darkness and light. And we're going to be reading another passage from uh, John chapter 1 later on as we light the Christmas candle, the ultimate symbol of light. And this darkness and light, it, it really echoes our lives personally and then globally and historically for the whole human family. That we live in this place of darkness. There are unrealized motivations. There are unrealized needs and desires that fuel all of the decisions that we make. They influence the way that we think, that we act, and we feel. But we're not aware of those things until the light comes in. And this is often one of the metaphors that's used for Jesus, that he is the light for mankind. Because he reveals to us what is truest within our souls so that we can begin to do business with him. And so what I want to do today is to reflect on each of those four themes that we have in Advent and to ask that question, what is it that we're being saved from? Those deepest desires, those unmet desires of being a human being, and what is it that we're being saved to? And we're going to be kind of focusing in on how each of the, 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 the characters within the Christmas story um, actually demonstrate that need being met. So week one, we began with hope, that the hope of Jesus delivers us from perpetual despair, that tomorrow will be just like today. And we saw this through the story of the prophets, that there was, uh, Israel was in this situation where every day is exactly the same, that they had been delivered from the oppression of Egypt, they had been established in the promised land, but because of the powers and the principalities that rose in that place and, and a, very, a series of very unfortunate kings and there were all of these competing empires kind of scrambling around them, Egypt and Babylon and Mesopotamia. Uh, Mesopotamia, what is it, Persia? Um, if anybody's looking for a baby name, uh, Persian king Tiglath Pileser II, he was a big deal. You know? So there's all this stuff's happening in the Middle East, and it's madness, and stuck in the middle is the normal, everyday, average Jew. And they lived, like many of us perhaps live, with this sense of despair. It, things don't change, there's no upward mobility. There's no real sense of liberation. And what happens when you live under that long enough is that you actually become numb long-term. Prolonged stress, trauma, uh, being trapped in systems leads you to numb yourself so that you can just deal. And so these poets, the, the prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel and these others, they come in and they begin to kind of ignite the divine imagination of the Jewish people to, to give them permission to recognize, number one, this is not okay. The way the world is is not the way that, it, that it's meant to be. And number two, God actually wants to do something about it. 
And so the poets, through these poems, igniting the divine imagination of the people, are opening them up to their own stories through grief, because it's only through grief that they can begin to actually hope that maybe God is going to do something down the road. And so I think that it's God's sovereignty that's on in, in the picture of the prophets. Not the sense, I don't mean God is in control in the sense of like, you know, we're all puppets on a string and everything we did he already determined 6,000 years ago and you're just living out this divine play. I mean, God's ability to turn cursing, curses into blessings. God's sovereignty is his ability to give history a trajectory, okay? Where we didn't think that tomorrow's gonna be any different, God says, no, I'm going to make tomorrow different than today and I'm gonna steadily walk you towards this certain future that I've already won for you. And so hope is the, the courageous, defiant declaration that God is going to do what he promised. And I think in our era of, of you know, instant gratification, hope is a really rare commodity because we feel like we, we deserve everything now and we collapse under the weight of this expectation that we're supposed to, to create the world and we're supposed to make it a better place, but we're only confronted with our sense of not being in control. Many of us feel enslaved to time. We feel victims of time. And our anxiety, our despair, our ennui, as the French say, keeps us trapped in time that we feel powerless. And so we begin to shut ourselves off to hope. But I think it's the God of history, the God of time itself, that breaks into this precious moment and begins to open us up to recognize the avenues in our lives where despair might be hiding behind any number of coping mechanisms. Perhaps it's bitterness. How many of you have some bitterness in your heart today? Because things didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to. How many of you feel a sense of ambivalence? I love that Dan Allender talks about ambivalence. His five-year-old daughter, or granddaughter rather, was asking for something and she said, I want it and I also don't want it. How many of you are beset by ambivalence today? How many of you, it's distraction. You know there are some deep existential crises under there, but you just have to keep checking your phone or you have to keep filling in every gap on your calendar because time is the enemy. But I think what we're saved from is that sense of despair and that Jesus gives us a hope to believe that tomorrow will be better than today, not because of anything that we do, but because he will do it on our behalf. And that brings us to the second week when we focused in on peace. The peace of Jesus is the antidote to the disharmony and brokenness of our relationships. If, if hope is kind of the realm of the prophets, then peace is the realm of some of the other surrounding characters, the shepherds and the magi. And so if you know this, the Christmas story, you know that at, at a certain point, these shepherds uh, are, you know, at night, they're out minding their own business, tending to their flocks, and these angels appear to them and say glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. And they're like, who the heck are we that we even get to do this thing? And they're like, no, trust me, go, find him. The king has been born. And shepherds, you know, weren't exactly the, in the highest echelon of society. There's many experts that think that, that the shepherds is kind of a, you know, it's at least a mediocre job, if not straight up being a pariah in society. These are the guys, they kind of, they, they had a, a chance at a good life and they didn't really take it and, and they've ended up like out in the flock. So they're local, but they're outcasts. 
They're necessary to the function of society, but nobody really wants to be around them because they smell like sheep. And on the other side, we have this story of the magi, the wise men, who see this star that guides them to where the baby has been born. And they're very, very different group of people from the shepherds. First of all, they're pagans, gasped. Did you know there were pagans in the story? <gasps> they didn't believe in God. They didn't ask Jesus into their heart. They read the stars and they followed them. And they were rich. Did you know that rich people get to come into the kingdom of heaven too? What? It's hard, but it's possible because we see it at the beginning. And so we have these kind of low-life local outcasts. We have these well-to-do rich magician wizards from another country that are all entering into the story together. And I love that our little nativities, you know, we, I have a beautiful nativity at home that we've had in the family for like 30 years. It's made of corn husks. It's adorable. You know, the baby Jesus is sitting behind the, the, the little house and I get to put him into the manger this, this week. I've been doing it for 36 years and I love it. Um, all these weird people get brought into the story together and is that not the sign of peace? That the peace that has been won for us in Jesus means that all of these, the social strata, all the dividing walls of hostility that you and I create, the society creates in order to, to make order and order to make money off of keeping people in power, all of that is broken down by the advent of this infant child. And as I was reflecting on peace this year, especially reflecting on everything that happened this year, I recognized that so often violence is our attempt to fix the world. Much of the violence that you and I participate in or that we see in the news is an honest attempt to do good. But what we recognize in the story of Jesus, in his life, his death, his resurrection, in his ministry, is that peace is not simply the destination and we do whatever we can to get there. We cannot use violence to get to peace, but peace is also the way in which we walk the path. And if we do not walk the path of peace, we will never enter into the promised land. Because when we tend to fix the world by violence, and that may be through physical force, but that may be a harsh word, that may be an act of hatred, it only leads to more brokenness. But what we celebrate in this Advent season is that we're, first of all, peace has been won for us in Jesus with God himself. We now have shalom, togetherness, peace with God, but we also have peace with one another. We rub elbows with all of these strange weirdos in this room who make us uncomfortable. And we go, them too? They get to see the Christ child? And the angels whisper to us, yes, and glory to God in the highest for it. Third Sunday last week, Nicole spoke to us about joy. The joy of Jesus gives meaning and purpose to our lives. I was thinking, what is the opposite of joy? And oftentimes we think it's despair or sadness. But Nicole was showing us last week how, in fact, in, in the Christian story, um, joy and sadness go hand in hand. They, they are, they, we work through those things together because we're being true and honest to what we're actually experiencing in the moment. Yet on this deeper level, we're grounded in the eternal presence of God and who we are in light of his love. And as I was thinking about joy, I was actually thinking about the story of Joseph. Uh, we don't know much about Joseph. We get this one little uh, snapshot just before Jesus is born and a little bit thereafter, and that's about it. And I think this, this, this is what's so interesting about the story of Joseph. He is, as the ladies would say, a good guy. He's a really good, you know Joseph? God, man, he's a good guy, isn't he? 
He's a good guy. Somebody really needs to like hook him up with somebody. He's a good guy. Joseph was a good guy. It says that he was righteous or it says that he was really obedient to the law. He loved the law. He got it. He knew the law is the way that God's calling us to walk so that we can be righteous and obedient. And he was all about that. He was following the rules. He's a good guy. He's following the rules. And then he finds out that his fiance is pregnant. Scandal. And it says he wanted to divorce her quietly. Now, this is so interesting because in their society, to be righteous, you need to look absolutely squeaky clean when it comes to the law. So what do you do if your fiance is pregnant? You divorce her very, very loudly because you don't, you don't want that stank on your family. You don't want that to affect you. You have to go, no, this has nothing to do with me. Sorry, she's out. She's, she put all the blame on her. Like us Josephsons, we're good. We've got it together. But there's something in Joseph where he goes, I'm, I'm going to just seek to divorce her quietly, which he has every right to do according to the law. But in that, you see the heart of God on display because he knows rather than making a, a kind of a public display on this to kind of preserve my own holiness, I want to do what I can in order to protect her. And I believe it's in that moment that God looks at him and goes, I can work with that guy. He is a genuinely good guy. And I love that in this story, when the angel appears to Joseph and says, no, 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 I want you to take her as your wife and I want you to raise this child and you're gonna call him Jesus. What he's saying is, I've got a job for you to do. I've got a purpose for your life. And I think this is what's so fascinating when we consider joy. Joy is being found in the right struggle. Joy is not the absence of struggle. Okay, joy is being found in the right struggle. So when the pain comes, when it's not sexy, when we're questioning everything, it's still meaningful. And so I think that joy is actually the antidote to meaninglessness. The frustration and the pain become worth it. Many of us, we feel like we're drifting through life. That our best hope is to be like Joseph, to be a good boy, to be a good girl, to follow the rules, to pay our taxes, and then die. And that's basically what life is. And so often that comes because we feel no sense of inherent meaning. We just think it's about following the rules, about keeping our nose to the grindstone. I know I've had several things in my life where I thought I had the job, I'm gonna do the, do the thing for 30 years, get the whole golden handshake, and then try to get out of life alive if I can help it. And oftentimes that's the best that we think that we can hope for. And it's very tied in with our pain-averse mentalities. But I think in this Christmas season, God is coming to you in the same way that he comes to Joseph. He goes, you are a good guy. You are a good woman. But guess what? Because of that, I've got a job for you to do. You see, joy is so tied in with our purpose. Joy influences our purpose, our job, our vocation, the reason that we've been put on this planet. And like Joseph, God says, I've got a job for you to do. And I know you don't think that you're capable of it, but guess what? You are, because I'm going to give you reinforcements. This is why one of our values as a church is the purpose as a spirit-led church, because the spirit of Jesus becomes our advocate. And out of that grind, out of the pain and the suffering and the difficulty of being a Christian, we find, oh my goodness, it is so worth it. All the things that it is costing me. 
Did you know that being a Christian is an adventure? Maybe no one's ever told you that because someone kind of implied that being a Christian means that you're going to be really, really boring, that your schedule's already worked out for you and there's all these things that you can't do. And it's a big list of don'ts. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't look at pornography. Try to get through life alive, pay your taxes, die, cherubim, harps. That's Christianity. But I think in contrast, I think Christianity is a tremendous adventure that breaks us out of that status quo, that general meaninglessness. And like any great adventure, we recognize that all heroes are beset by obstacles and they question their abilities and they have to forge friendships in order to solve problems and to get through the difficulty of life that many um, heroes, they lose the plot at certain points. Insert Lord of the Rings reference. You won't make that one up. I don't have time to go into all of it. But so often the heroes lose the plot. They forget why it exists. It hurts too much. It's too difficult. Maybe we should just turn around. Maybe we should go back to Rivendell, whatever it might be. But the beauty of the stories are that there's always the guides to help them along and to go, okay, guess what? It's meaningful. It matters. And it's good. And you are worthy and capable. And that brings us to the fourth Sunday of Advent today, which is love. The love of Jesus counters a world beset by indifference by revealing our identity as the beloved of God. If peace is the language of intimacy with God, if joy is the language of our purpose as the church, then here we find the, our identity in Christ, not just un- knowing our identity, but learning how to inhabit it as the beloved of God. And so we see this in the story of Mary, uh, a, a very young woman, you know, she's of a, f- of a family, but she doesn't seem to be a very important person. Like Joseph, she's just kind of average. She's just kind of there. And this angel appears to her and gives her this word, you are going to be the vehicle through which God is going to bring salvation to the world. She says, how can this be? Which is to say, well, well who do you think that I am? Me? I, I think you got the wrong person. Couldn't be me. But I love in the story of Mary, she so quickly pivots. She, begins, she asks her questions, she has her doubts of what the angel's saying. And then she goes, all right, Let's do this. And then she writes this really great song that you should go and check out where she's like, praise to be to God because he has been mindful of me. Which maybe today we'd say, he noticed me. God noticed me? He sees little old me? Some teenage girl living in the Middle East? Can't even get this guy to marry her? He saw me. He noticed me. He's fond of me. Mary was not a very important person by any stretch of our imaginations. And how many of you feel that today? You feel a sense of indifference from the world. Whether you existed or not, eh, maybe nobody would notice. You know, I think I've asked myself that many times through 2020 when the best connections that we've had have mostly been online because it's been so hard to be around people and because we're so tired. 
And as we, I was talking to somebody on Friday who's very extroverted member of our community saying, I feel like all of my muscles of human engagement are just so flabby. And she has engagements with people like a, you know, a little uh, Christmas party or whatever and she's done for the day. She needs to go home and nap. Like we're, that is settled in on all of us that we feel this sense of tiredness, of being overwhelmed and then thinking, gosh, does the world even care? Do people even care about what we're doing here? Like if we just dissolved this thing, would anybody notice? If I moved to Naples and just retired now, would anybody notice? It's the dream. I've got the shirts for it. But in our hyper-connected world, we feel like we're being drowned in the noise that actually replaces, but actually inoculates us to true, deep human connection. It itches the scratch, but it's not real. And so many of us, we feel like we're being passed over. So then when it comes to our online presence, we're kind of throwing things out into the void, hoping somebody notices us, hoping somebody hears us or sees us. And this is what I think is so profound that love, the opposite of love is not hate because at least hate is attention. And some of us are so traumatized, we don't know the difference. As long as we're getting attention, it feels pretty good and we'll just go with that because we've settled. I think the opposite of love is actually indifference. Not being seen, not being noticed, not being cared for. But in the Christmas story, in the story of Mary, we have God saying, I'm mindful of you. I see you. I notice you. I think love is first of all us being worthy of being seen and valued before anything else. Love is to be seen. And then from that point of being seen, it's this steadfast withness, this steadfast commitment to walk together, that every moment you desire your beloved to know that they are seen and that they are valued. And so our identities as the beloved of God, it's not something that we accomplish. It's not something that we build for ourselves. It's not something that we store up in our bank accounts. It's not even something that we find in the eyes of other people who are still kind of bumping around in the dark like we are. Our value, our identity is a gift to be received, not something to be manufactured or won or earned. And it is that we are his beloved. We are the apple of his eye. That when God sees you, he says, you are highly favored and I am with you. And as each of us are loved and seen in this way, so we begin to love and see other people in that way. And that's what it means to gospel, to share the good news. You are seen, you are highly favored, and I am with you. And when I think about 2020 and I look out on your faces and I think about everybody that's tuning in online uh, this morning in our other format, yes, murder hornets, yes, minks rising from the dead and, you know, protests and elections and yeah, all of that. Real? Sure. Okay. 2020. Whatever. The thing that I'm most struck by is all of the small acts of love that I have seen within this community. Where I've seen the Coddles make cookies and take them over to Ricardo. Where I've seen you babysitting each other's kids just so you can get out of the house. 
where I've seen you, some of you changing careers, deciding, you know what, I want to do something that makes the world a better place. And this was a great time to discover that. You calling each other or texting each other, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? None of us even knew what Zoom was at the beginning of the year, but God has used it as a vehicle for love. And so when I think about this idea of like, okay, what is it that we're saved from and what are we saved to, that it's not just about this afterlife reality, but it's something here and now that we can bear witness to, that we can experience, that's what I begin to realize, is that we are all being moved from despair to hope, from brokenness to peace, from meaninglessness to joy, and from indifference to love. And so as we consider those four areas, like what untended desires of yours are being brought to light by Jesus in this season? What's the thing that's in the dark that he wants to shine the light on so that you could begin to do business with it? The big question, the deepest fear, all our hopes and fears are met in him in this story. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're just going to take 30 seconds. And I, I want you to contemplate love. And what have you seen? What have you witnessed to? What have you experienced in 2020 that you can point to and go, yeah, he has been mindful of me. She has been mindful of me. They have been mindful of me. Let's take 30 seconds and just reflect with the Holy Spirit on when we have experienced love this year. Father of lights, we recognize today that you shine in the darkness, that you desire to meet all of our deepest needs, our hopes, our dreams, our disappointments, our despair. You want to meet all of those in the person of your son, King Jesus. God, in this holiday season, May we move from despair to hope. May we receive peace where there is brokenness. May we find joy in everything being so damn meaningful. And may we be brought out of a sea of indifference through love to know that we are your beloved. So bless us, Lord, as we bless you in this Christmas season. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.